0: This week we're in Matthew chapter 5 and I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about wasting your influence. What kind of influence are we having? What kind of influence are you having? On the, on your world, on your sphere of influence, on your circle of influence. Did you know that if you're a Christian today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're called by God to influence the world around you for the glory of Christ. And the world needs gospel believing people's influence um, like never before. I mean, it it always needs it, but in our day and age, we still need it. You know, we have a world where the sexual revolution, as we call it in our culture, has literally wreaked havoc on gender and sexuality issues that we're seeing played out before our eyes when you turn on the television channels and you hear some of the things you hear. We have a political climate that has little civility in it that I can't find anybody from either party that even can speak with civility on an issue um, in a way that is encouraging. We have a culture that values character less and less and less and less. We have a culture where many permit and celebrate the death of the most vulnerable people in our country. We have a world full of starving people, oppressed people, deeply hurting people. You go to work with people who are, who are struggling with, am I going to divorce my spouse or not? How am I going to pay my bills? Uh, forgiveness issues, bitterness issues, sexual addiction issues, um, all kinds of issues. And people that we're rubbing shoulders with every day. We are around a world full of people that we walk past every day in desperate need of Jesus. Christ exalting influence is needed in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in our world, in our nation, like never, well, like it always has been. I don't like to say that things are like never before, but we need it today, right? And we're just reminded so much today. The question today is not, though, if you're a Christian, are you influencing? The question is, how are we influencing? We're going to see that today. The question is not, are you influencing? The question is, how are you influencing? Are you wasting, are we wasting our influence? Today we're going to be looking at Jesus' description of His people when He says that we are to be salt and light. If you're a believer today, I want you to hear what Jesus says about our influence in the culture and in the world. It's my prayer that today, like never before maybe, that you would choose to leverage your life for the glory of God for however many days and months and years and decades that we have left on this planet that we would do that for the glory of God. And if you're not a believer today, it's my hope that you'll hear what the role of God's people is supposed to be in the world. What the influence is supposed to be. While we take some of the stands we take, while we do some of the things we do, and hopefully today, you'll see uh, as we as we get to the towards the near end of the message, um, Where true light can be found. So look with me in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse thirteen. One of the most familiar passages in all the New Testament. Starting in verse thirteen, Jesus says, This is a sermon on the mount, greatest sermon ever preached. Pretty long sermon, too, if you've never if you've never read it. So but look at Matthew chapter five, starting in verse thirteen. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? A privilege, what an honor, what an encouragement it is that the Son of God would call His people the salt of the earth, and the light of the world. Would you open our eyes to understand uh, what this means, to apply it to our life in new and fresh ways today so that we can live as salt and light, not waste our influence, Lord, but leverage it for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first 12 verses or so here, uh, Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned. And the first several verses you have there, verses 2-11, through 11, is what we call the Beatitudes. The blesseds, right? Blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. And there's a lot of counterintuitive things there. As Jesus is describing kingdom life and the way of the kingdom, which is way different than the way of the world. And then here, He moves um, towards this description of His people. And then He's going to kind of flesh out, a lot of what it looks like to live as salt and light in the world and the, and the remaining of the Sermon on the Mount. But what's so shocking about verses 13 through 16 to me is that they are on the heels of verses 11 and 12, or 10, 11, and 12. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, the two verses right before these. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it's an incredible statement of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That statement comes on the heels of being warned about persecution that we're likely and will face from time to time. In other words, don't think being salt and light which is a critical statement here by Jesus, means that you're going to be well received by the world. So he gives this incredible, encouraging statement, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, but it comes on the heels of, and the context is, persecution. And we're going to talk about that throughout this message, of that context of the tension that this creates. So Jesus is here in these verses addressing how the church is to influence the world. Both of these things, salt and light, are about influence. We are to be proactively, diligently engaging in the matters of this world in a, way, in a kingdom-minded way to bring gospel-shaped influence everywhere we are for the good of others and for the glory of God. And what we learn in this passage right off the bat is that our influence is fueled by our identity. It's it's who we are that shapes how and why we influence. If there's no desire for kingdom-minded, gospel-believing influence, if there's no desire to live in such a way as to be salt and light, and we're going to talk about what that means, then you have to wonder what is your identity. Because Jesus doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth or you should be the light of the world. He doesn't really give you a choice. If you're a believer today, Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's your identity. It's who you are it's a true statement. So I don't think I'm the salt of the earth, or the light of the world. If you're not a believer, okay. If you are a believer, well, you're disagreeing with Jesus, right? You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. It's who your identity is. And our identity is what fuels all this. Living out, being salt and being light and influencing in a way that brings to bear kingdom-mindedness and a gospel-shaped view of things on the world so that we can have opportunities to share Christ and people actually want to hear about Christ from us. You know, a couple of nights ago, Friday night, we did a church and preschool family movie night here at the church. And we watched this movie called um, Inside Out. It's a Disney Pixar movie that's all about the emotions that are going on in a little girl's head as her family goes through a big move kind of halfway across the country. And all the emotions are played by various characters and they're kind of the stars of the movie really more than the little girl. They're, it's what's going on inside her head. So there's a disgust emotion and there's a joy emotion and there's an anger emotion. All, a fear and sorrow and all these sort of emotions are all played by different characters and they're all kind of influencing her, right? My favorite one was the anger emotion. <laughs> Not like being angry, but because he was funny. He's a funny emotion. He has a lot of the, the one liners, right, in, in the movie. And the thing about anger is he's always influencing the little girl to be angry. Right? He's the reason she throws her food. She's the reason she pops off at her dad. And it's because he is anger. It's his identity. It's who he is in the movie. He plays anger, and so he influences a girl to be angry. And in the same way, in a similar way, as Christians, it's our identity in Christ that drives, or should drive, our influence among those around us. And in this passage, Jesus tells us two things. Very simple, two points this morning, real easy, that we'll, about how we influence the world. Two ways we influence the world. The first thing Jesus says is, He says, You are the salt of the earth. That's your identity and your means of influence. You are the salt of the earth. And the first thing that would come to mind, I believe, to these folks listening to Jesus, was the value of salt. Now, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. We think of the taste of salt and we think of uh, how much we like salt or whatever, or that you can't have salt or whatever the situation may be for you. But their first thought would be, wow! In fact, I've read this week and i would read before that you know soldiers were paid in salt many times in their day. That's how valuable it was. They pay soldiers in it. You might have heard the phrase, he's not worth his salt. That's what it comes from, I read. It was the soldiers were paid in it. Salt was valuable because it had just tons of uses. There were so many uses. In a, in a place where you didn't have refrigeration, it was critical to preserving meat and getting it to last. So salt was extremely valuable. When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, it's a, on the very face a statement of the importance and of the value of His people on the earth. Now, the interesting thing to remember is who Jesus is talking to. These people, these disciples were made up of fishermen and tax collectors. Poor people. Women. People who were not socially high on the ladder. Who were following Jesus and in this society, they're not considered the salt of the earth. But culture in Jesus doesn't usually agree on who the salt of the earth is. First Corinthians tells us that God has chosen not many wise among us, not many noble, right? God doesn't view things the way the world views things. And God will take people that the world would never choose to be on their team, and God will take those people, and He'll change the world with those people. Jesus did it. And so Jesus looks at this ragtag bunch of people that were kind of the outcasts of the world, and he says, You're actually the salt of the earth. Well, why? Because they're a ragtag bunch of people? No, because they're his. Because their identity is in Him. Now remember, it's in the context of persecution. He just talked about persecution not right before this. And in the midst of the world's rejection that He had just assured them of, He wanted His people to know that they are loved and valuable. That though they are going to be treated as though they're not, that they are the apple of His eye. Whether the world knows it or not, the world needs the people of God. We are and should be a blessing to the earth. They should be better off that we're here. Our nation should be better off that we're here. Ball and Park should be better off that we're here. The city of Orlando should be better off that we're here. So what does he mean by you are the salt of the earth? What is the purpose of this? What's the purpose of salt? Well, salt had a wide array of purposes in the New Testament. And we could spend a lot of time talking about all of them. But most people believe that Jesus is focusing on one of two or maybe both of two primary issues. And that is salt as a preservative and salt as a seasoning agent. Could be just one, could be both. Could be just talking about the big picture. But let's just focus on those this morning. Think about salt as a preservative. Author Craig Blomberg points out that the main use for salt in its day was the preserving of meat, as I mentioned earlier, because of the lack of refrigeration. He believes that would have been the main thing that immediately popped into the disciples' mind when they would have heard this, that they would have automatically begin thinking about the preserving issue because that was how important it was. He says the quote losing its taste that Jesus warns of could actually be remembered is defiled when salt is defiled. The word actually in the Greek means to be made foolish. So he says it could be talking about more than just losing the flavor of salt but actually the preserving quality he believes. You know preservatives keep things from decaying. Salt has the ability to purify and it has the ability to to prevent the decay and the erosion of these things. And the Bible pictures the world as this broken, decayed place. A place where people have rebelled against God who is all good and all powerful and people have rebelled against Him. That's why the world's in the messes it's in today. If you look around your world and you see brokenness and you see shame and you see heartache and you see broken relationships and you see poverty and you see divorce and you see all these different things. You go, why all this in the world? It's because the world is a broken place. And believers are those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and are striving to live in harmony with Him. And we have a responsibility to moral backbone. We have a responsibility before God to integrity, to strive for justice for the weak and for the vulnerable, to speak the truth in love. So in other words, how we treat others in our workplaces, how we handle our taxes, how we speak to people on the street or in our neighborhood or at the grocery store, how we conduct ourselves in our marriages, how we parent, how we steward our finances and our resources and our time and energy, all these things matter. All these things matter because we are like a preservative on the earth, preserving against moral bankruptcy. The salt was also a seasoning agent. Many point to this being maybe Jesus' primary use because he does talk about warning of losing its flavor, its taste. And that's one thing salt does. It brings flavor. I'd rather have a salted baked potato than a plain baked potato. You probably would too. So salt has an alluring quality. No doubt believers in salt need to be both preservatives and seasoners, but when I was reading this week, one author pointed out how when you think about salt as a seasoning agent, the point of salt is not to bring attention to itself, but to bring attention to whatever it's seasoning. Right, you 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 don't eat a baked potato and think that was some really good salt, right? You know, one of the things I like to cook uh sometimes is I I'll, I'll, I started this a couple of years ago. Uh, every now and then, when we cook, if we cook steak, we'll sometimes we'll cook it. We used to always cook it on the grill. Sometimes we'll cook it in the oven now, and we'll get a cast iron skillet, and so we'll get the skillet real hot, and we will sear it. Uh, on both sides and then stick it in the oven. It comes out really tender. It's really great. But before I do that, we rub it with oil and we rub it with um, coarse salt, like kosher salt, and pepper. But we don't just dump all that in one spot, right? You rub it around on there. You cover the thing. But you don't put, you're you not trying to overpower the meat. You're trying to accentuate the flavor of the meat. I don't want to cut the steak and go, wow, that's a really salty steak. I want to say that's a really good steak. See, we don't love salt as much as we love what salt does to our food. That's why we like salt. So we scatter it around and we spread it around and we, and we flavor with it. And as believers in Christ, it's our role to help people Simply this, understand how good Jesus really is. Not to draw attention to ourselves. Not to make Jesus better. We can't make Jesus better. But to help them see through His impact on our lives and how we impact their lives just how good He really is. It's not about us, but Him. We season the world with purity and holiness and love so that people can see Christ's beauty through the lens of our lives. This means living lives filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Lives that have been transformed by the Spirit as we've talked about recently. Our goal is not to bunch up together and create a pseudo-Christian environment um, and leave us no reason to engage the world. No, it's our job to scatter throughout the world and represent Christ wherever we are. But there's a danger, Jesus says. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, how can salt lose its taste? The only way for salt to have this happen was for it to be contaminated with other things. Such as gypsum. I, I read, uh, you'll, you can find out that the Dead Sea, many times the salt in the Dead Sea was actually contaminated with gypsum and other materials. And if it wasn't processed properly to get all that out of it, it was useless. It was useless salt because it was contaminated. That's what Jesus wanted. Because sometimes people read this and they go, salt can't lose its saltiness. Oh yeah, when you contaminate it, You can. And that's what Jesus is warning against. He's warning against compromise. He's saying, don't get contaminated, don't let your saltiness be compromised. See, the temptation is to waste your influence by compromising and becoming like the world. Remember, the context is He's told us we'll be persecuted and blessed are we when we're persecuted. He's saying the world's not going to be an easy place to live out your faith. And so one of the first temptations we face when the world becomes a more difficult place to live out your faith is that we'll just become more like the world. That's contamination. That's compromise. That's what He's warning against. And Jesus said, How shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. He's saying don't forfeit your witness. Don't compromise your morals to get ahead, to get in, to get momentary pleasure. Because you were made for more than that. Have you ever dropped your phone in the water? I'm not going to ask what kind of water it was. Uh, do not That's probably TMI. But if you've ever dropped your phone in the water, your iPhone, your Android or whatever, it was... Useless after that. You probably went and found a bunch of rice and submerged it in rice and hope that did the trick. By the way, that sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't work. But, but a wet iPhone or a wet Android is a worthless iPhone. It can't function properly. It's, it's integrity has been compromised and it won't, it won't do what it was created to do. And if a believer lives like the world, if we sell out to the world, if we compromise the truth out of fear of being mistreated, looked down on, or out of a desire for the allures and pleasures of this world, we will forfeit our usefulness in the mission. He says you're good for nothing but to be trampled on. The very world that you're called to season, you'll go trying to please them, you'll compromise them, become more like them. And you know what they'll do? You're useless to them. They'll just walk all over you. So, how might we compromise? We can compromise in our integrity, at home or at work. We can fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. We can compromise on cultural, moral issues. We can fail to speak with civility about cultural, moral, and political issues. We can take up with the idols of today comfort and safety and pleasure and power, loving money, living for pleasure, abusing power. We can react to issues in our day just like the world reacts to them. Just from another side. These are all ways that you can compromise and I can compromise our witness. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says, so take heart. God has a plan for you this week in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in your home. Out there in the world, God has a plan for you this week and it involves you not being like the world. It involves you being different than the world and seasoning the world and preserving the things that need to be preserved and representing Christ, so don't waste your influence. You are the salt of the earth. But number two, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now that's a big statement because Jesus has called Himself the light of the world. In John 8.12 and John nine five. so you can imagine the disciples hearing this and thinking, wait just a second, you are the light of the world. However, Jesus was going back to the Father. But through His presence in the lives of believers, we're able to reflect Him in the world. We've said this before, but it's like the sun and the moon. The moon gives off no light. It reflects the light of the sun. Our light is actually found in Christ and we reflect, reveal His light. But light's a basic need. Think about that. Light is a basic human need. Without light, there's no life. Plants don't grow, right? I mean the kind you'd want anyway. Right? it's You need light. In a dark world full of sin and brokenness, believers are to be light that pierces that darkness. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verses 6-10. through Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. Past tense. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing, he says, to the Lord. So at conversion, Paul says, you go from darkness to light. The light of Christ permeates our lives and begins to shine through our lives. And remember, this is not a suggestion, but identity. He says... You are light in the Lord, verse 8. He says, so walk as children of the light. You can't walk as children of the light unless you are light in the Lord. But once you are light in the Lord, you are to proactively live that out by walking in the light. Now what's the purpose of light? Primarily to reveal. Now it can do other things. It gives heat and things like that. But it's very obvious from Jesus' analogies here. That he's talking about revealing, giving, giving light and brightening the room. If it were not for light, we couldn't see. Without light, there are things... We would not know. Light keeps us from being ignorant. It keeps us from hurting ourselves. Right? In a dark room. It reveals things. It helps guide the path. Jesus says, you can't hide a city on a hill. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, it would be foolish to try to hide a city that is full of light and homes and streets because the light's dead giveaway. You see the city up on... I mean, think about in his day where he had the candles and all the things that were lit out in the city so people could see to get around or maybe in homes and things like that. He said, you can't hide that city up on the hill. Travelers see it from a mile away. In our day, you think about flying in uh, in, 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 at night and flying into New York City or flying into Chicago or flying into Orlando. You can't hide the city, right? It's there. The church should be a place for people, for others to look and to see. Oh, that's what Jesus is like. Oh, that's what kingdom life is supposed to be like. Oh, that's what life is supposed to really be like. You know, one of the great speeches of my day, my generation, and your generation, is in a lot of times our nation is referred to as a bright and shining city on a hill. You know where they got that from? The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that long before Ronald Reagan or anybody else did. I don't know if that was original of Him or not. But listen, America is not the city on a hill. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the city on a hill. If you put your hope in a nation as opposed to the people of God, we're all in a whole lot of trouble. Listen, we are the city on it. So when the nation, if the nation goes dark, if this, listen, we are the city on a hill. We are the light of the world, right? We are the light, of the world. and we're scattered worldwide in dark places, in communist places, in places where it's illegal to worship, in places where they gather in darkness and dark rooms. There sits the light of the world. Listen. This country is not the light of the world. Is not the city on a hill. The church is you are. You're the city on a hill. We are the city on a hill. Jesus says, you know what you don't do? You don't take a lamp and cover it up with a basket. You take it to the middle of the room and you put it as high as you can on a stand so it can give off as much light as possible. Now, we don't think about that because we go into rooms and we flip on switches. So the analogy doesn't make... We don't think about the illustration as well. But in their day, if you think about it, they're lighting something And they've got to strategically place it in such a way that it gives off as much light as possible or they've got to light a whole lot of these things increasing the chances of a fire. So they're going to be strategic in what they did with the light because they wanted it to reveal as much as possible out of the darkness. But it would be foolish and ridiculous to try to hide light. It's kind of hard to do. Right? You put your hand over it, it kind of shines out of it. If you hide the light, you can't experience the blessing of the light. That's not the purpose of light. The most unnatural thing for a Christian is to not shine. Is to not live as though light. It'd be like buying a, a Christian trying to live as though they're not the light of the world. It's like buying a boat, parking it in your yard or in your driveway and never putting it in the water. And neighbors come by and they go, that's a beautiful boat. Are you ever going to put that thing in the water? Well, I'm afraid it might get wet. I'm afraid of the water. I can't swim. Never learned how. Well, you shouldn't have, you, you got a boat. Don't you know what the boat's for? I know, it's a pretty boat. My grandkids love, my kids, they love to just get in it and play in it, and, you know, and pretend like they're out on the water. Have you ever taken it out and never been out on the water? You know, it's a boat, right? Yeah, it's a boat. You say, that would just be silly. That would just be foolish and a waste of money. What a waste it is of our influence if the church doesn't live as though we're the light of the world. You don't take light and hide it. and See, Beware of forfeiting, not fulfilling the very purpose you're here for. What a shame it would be to die and to have done your career, career well and made much money. To provide for your family well and, and, to, and to went to faithfully to church all the time and to have been a regular giver and to have all these little things that you can check off and to have refused to do the very thing that Jesus put you on and saved you and put you on earth to do and that is to shine forth as the light of the world. Because that's the temptation. With salt, the temptation is that we would compromise. As the light, our temptation is that we would conceal. With salt, the the temptation is that we become like the world when persecution and when it becomes hard to be a Christian. With light, the temptation is that we'll retreat from the world when it becomes hard to be a Christian. I won't become like them, I just won't be around them. I'll take my ball and go home. Maybe I'll build me a commune. Get really high walls, right? Just live like a weirdo. And we'll just become it's completely pressed out. It's get everybody away from us and let me do life the way I want to do it. I just don't want to be around no lost people. I don't want to be around no agnostic, no atheist. I don't want to be around a Muslim. I don't want to be around a Hindu. I don't want to be around anybody that doesn't believe what I believe and do what I do. Well, you're not light. Right? <laughs> Jesus didn't say you're the light of the church. He didn't say you're the light of your family. He said you're the light of the world. The world. And if one group compromises and become worldly, just know this it's just as sinful to retreat. And to live it. Listen, Jesus didn't die to make you a monk. He makes you a missionary. He sends us. He sends us. The Son of God was sent, and He makes us like Him. And He sends us into the world. Beware of retreating when things get difficult. Beware of piping down and getting quiet and just putting your head down and going about your business. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. We can't do that if we don't talk to people and engage those around us. The Christian life is not a secret club. God didn't save you to make you a recluse. We're not simply the light of Christian things. We're the light of the world. And the way we get of off light is through our good works. As we live and share our lives, our lives should shine through with the very light of Christ Himself. His light shines through us. So it's not just what I do, but the attitude I do it with. It's not just my attitude, but my actions. It's all I am being permeated with the light of Christ. All He is. And the motive is that people would see our good works, He says, and give glory to our Father in Heaven. Remember, light is a revealer. The light shown through our work should help people see the reality and the beauty of God. That's why it gives glory to God. It's our hope that they will come to faith in Christ as we live out, as we witness, as we sow the gospel and share the gospel and live gospel-influenced lives. The Christian life is a life lived on mission. Salt is kind of about our integrity and, 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 and living a godly life. And this is about influencing people for the sake of the gospel as light. In our jobs, in our marriages, in our neighboring, and in our civic duties, our actions should reveal our identity and point to the beauty and power of the One who our identity is in. Salt and life. You know, the purpose of shining before others, that they, he says, is that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But what we have to beware is these dark spots many times in our lives. You know, you um, know, Sometimes I have to go in Cannon's room, and I haven't had to do this in a while, but he went through this real, uh, this phase where he was really terrified of, um, shadows. And so he has his little nightlight and there's shadows all over the wall, right? And so I'm having to move things around because that looks like a monster and that looks like a whatever, right? Imagination runs wild. So we have to move things around and lay things down and move things and do whatever we can do to get as few shadows as possible because the shadows are scary, but you know, i tried to explain to him before. You know, shadows, the cool thing about a shadow is it means there's light in the room, Canon. The reason you have a shadow there is because there's light over there. But the bad thing about the shadow we know is that means there's something there blocking the light. The shadow's nothing. It's easy to say, look, it's nothing. Look, I go, wait a But it means something's there and I don't know what's there, right? But something's there and it's blocking, it's impeding the light. Are there things in your life that's blocking the light? Things that are impeding the light of Christ from shining as brightly as it should. Are you throwing shadows everywhere? Fear can do that. Fear is a big one. That impedes us from shining is like indifference. Let's go about living my life. Checking off the boxes. Spiritual laziness. A lack of passion for things of Christ. Other sinful habits, sinful attitudes, anything. Listen, maybe there are things in your life this morning that need to be moved around. That need to be moved completely. That need to be removed from the room, so to speak, so the light can permeate. What's preventing you from having the impact you should be having among those around you? Are there things preventing you? Maybe it is fear. And maybe you need to pray to the the Father this morning to embolden you and to help you conquer your fears of sharing your faith or whatever it may be. But our identity, he says, is salt and light. We are called upon to preserve and season the world with holy living and to shine the light of the Gospel, he says, through our good works. But we must be aware in a world where living for Jesus is not easy. And it's been as easy here as it's been anywhere in the history of the world for a long time. But in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, beware of compromising and becoming more like the world or concealing and retreating from the world. A ditch on the left and a ditch on the right and both of them get you off course. You know, the true light, as I said earlier, is Christ. We bear His light. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, listen to what John writes. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We live in a world full of sin and darkness as evidenced by its rejection of the very light of the world Himself, the Lord Jesus. A world that has rebelled against God, who's refused to live according to His design, and our lives are full of brokenness due to that sin. And although we deserve eternal punishment for that, God has chose to send His Son, the very light of the world, into the world, even though knowing that the world would reject Him. He came, was rejected by men, crucified, endured the wrath of God on the cross, bore our sins so that you and I ultimately could be accepted by God. And we know it's true because God has shown us so by raising Him from the dead. And he says in this passage that all those who receive him, who receive this light, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God and makes us into salt and light ourselves. So my first question for you this morning is, have you received him? You can't be light if you haven't received the light. You're not born the salt of the earth. You're not born the light of the world. And at some point, if if reality never lines up, we have to wonder, is our identity what we really say our identity is? Or is our identity still in our sin? And if you're a believer this morning, my question is, are you wasting your influence this morning? Listen, believer, Christian, the very light of the world came into the world and what did they do? What did we do? Rejected Him and crucified Him. It's not an easy place. Right? That's what the world did to the very light of the world and that's what it's going to, it does to us many times. It will reject. And it's our job not to retreat and not to compromise, but to continue to press forward in His strength to be salt and to be light and to influence the world for the sake of Christ. Where are you giving in to the temptation to become like the world? Where are you giving into the temptation to retreat from the world? Where are you forfeiting your influence? Are there contaminants in your life that need to be rooted out this morning? Maybe this morning you need to get off the sidelines. Introduce yourself to that neighbor. This week, starting today, embrace your identity. You are the salt of the earth. You are the lot of the world. And so we need to live that out, flesh that out, for the good of the world and for the glory of God.